Today is Wednesday, June 23rd. The title for our devotional is The Problem with the Heart. Yesterday, we ended with the conclusion that there is a problem with the human heart. That is to say, the center, the fundamental nature of the human person that processes decisions and is the core to which every other component of the self owes its proper functioning, is sick. So to say that this part of the human is sick is no small matter. It's a huge problem, to say the least. Yet the scripture indicates this to be true everywhere. I've heard it said that the, de- that the depravity of the human race is the most often denied truth of scripture, yet it is the most empirically and experientially verifiable fact. Yet it is the one that we so resist coming to grips with. In Romans 1, the Apostle Paul explores the fallen nature of humanity at length. The following verses summarize, uh, at least summarize the bulk of his point. Romans 1.21 says, For although they knew God, uh, that is sinful humanity, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking, that is, their mind, became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see how when you're reading scripture through this lens of the different aspects of the human person, you'll see it everywhere. Romans 1.24, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Verse 26, Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. And finally, to sum up uh, Romans 1 in the condition of lost humanity, in verses 28 to 31, Paul writes, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, So God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Paul here paints a rather dismal picture of the human condition apart from God. Prophet Jeremiah, in watching the internal decay of the people of Israel, understood this as well. In Jeremiah 17:9, he says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Dallas Willard, he helpfully diagrams the order of dominance in the human person apart from God. In this distorted order of dominance, the body uh, is first. The body controls the soul. The body and soul control the mind, which controls the spirit, which ultimately then controls God. More simply, uh, but similarly, St. Augustine, he characterized the order of dominance in the unregenerate human as love of self over love of God. In this person, the body rules the soul, as we just said. The body and the soul then rules the mind, and so forth on and on down the list. The body here refers to what Paul would call the flesh or the sinful nature. Paul says of the unregenerate lost human in Ephesians 2, 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. That is, we were ruled by our flesh. Philippians 3.19 Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, 
So again, their God becomes their body, their stomach, their desires, their physical desires, and they rule over God. He says elsewhere that their mind is set on earthly things in that verse. Romans 16, 18, For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Galatians 5, 17, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, that is, the Spirit of God. And the Spirit, that is the Spirit of God, what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that they are not to do whatever, so that you are not to do whatever you want. So our flesh, our body, our sinful nature must be ruled by the Spirit of God, not vice versa. So our inner life, apart from God, is disordered and in complete disarray. But there's hope. When we speak of salvation and formation, uh, it is the mass scale correcting of this internal chaos that is in view. Tomorrow we will see the salvation and formation that God brings to our internal life so that we can say, like Paul, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. For additional content today, I'm going to read a quick article from the Gospel Coalition titled, Is, quote, Less of the Flesh Terminology Practical? by Justin Taylor. In this article, he is uh, re- just basically representing a question-answer session that he had with David Paulison's essay, I Am Motivated When I Feel Desire seeing with new eyes counseling in the human condition through the lens of scripture. He asks, is the phrase less of the flesh useful in practical life and counseling? And his answer is, apply the term to 21st century experience, redeeming the evasive language people substitute. People frequently talk about what they want, expect, wish for, desire, demand, need, long for. Pop psychologies typically validate these needs and longings as neutral givings. Little do people realize that much of the time they are actually describing sinful usurpers of God's rule over their lives. Inordinate desires, lusts of the flesh, cravings. They just aren't interpreting their experiences rightly. For example, listen to children talk when they are angry, disappointed, demanding, contrary. Says uh, Children say, but I want, but I don't want to. In our family, we began teaching our children about the I wantsies before they were two years old. We wanted them to grasp that sin was more than behavior. For example, analyze any argument or outburst of anger and you will find ruling expectations and desires that are being frustrated. James 4, 1 through 2. The language people typically use uh, day to day gets you into the details of a person's life, but it usually comes with a distorted interpretation attached. Wise counseling must reinterpret that experience into biblical categories, taking the more pointed reality of lusts, cravings, pleasures, and mapping it into the felt needs that underlie much sin and misery. The very unfamiliarity of the phrase is an advantage. If you explain it carefully and show its relevance and applicability, behavioral sins demand a horizontal resolution, as well as vertical repentance. But motivational sins have first and foremost to do with God, and repentance quickens the awareness of relationship with the God of grace. reflection, I know this is not a popular message today. We live in a culture that has extrapolated victimhood to every aspect of life, so much so that sin has ceased to be a thing, even a condition of the heart. We're simply victims of systems, societal factors, and events from our past. Of course, there is some truth to that, 
Uh, but much of what Jesus has to say goes back to becoming the type of person in the heart who can weather the systemic, societal, and personal storms in life and remain faithful. Not, not just remain faithful, but become the type of person who can reform those systems and societies. So is this a message that you have bought into too much? Are you excusing yourself as a helpless victim of circumstances and external forces instead of confronting the sin, evil, and sickness of your own heart for what it is? <laughs>